It's fantastic to see you. If this is your first, your second, your third, or your last time here with us, I just want to tell you it's amazing to see you. Um, we love you. Uh, God's doing something here, and uh, it, it takes a little bit of just stepping back and taking a deep breath and be like, God's doing something fresh in us. We're a new church, and so you feel like, hey, why would God be doing something fresh? You're, you're so new, right? Um, but I think God wants to do something in us regularly, just like new seasons. And I believe that we as a body, we're stepping into one of those seasons. And so I'm just wanting us to engage deeper and deeper into that. I'm excited about today. Today is, is Palm Sunday. Um, I don't know if you guys know what that is. That's when Jesus, it's like an, in, on the church calendar. It's when uh, it marks kind of the day that the church celebrates Jesus coming into Jerusalem on uh, a donkey or a colt. And, and uh, the people kind of stopped and, and worshipped him, had these palm branches. So that's why they call it Palm Sunday. And, and next week is Easter, big, big day, like the biggest day for like the church in the, in the world. We all just celebrate um, that God made the Easter bunny. And, you know, we just celebrate that and... Um, just thank God for that Easter bunny. You know, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, not just that he was born and he lived and he died, but the thing that really brings it all to its, its peak is that he was resurrected. He was who we thought he was. He was who we said he was. Um, so I'm glad you're here today. So we've kind of been on this couple of week journey of, of just following Jesus' life. And last week we started it by just looking at pain, uh, and sometimes that's a really tough look to just take a step back and assess pain and really, more than anything, just to understand pain. And we looked at Jesus in the garden, how he experienced every type of pain, physical pain, emotional pain, this spiritual battle that we're all fighting. And we learned a few things, and I'll just catch you up if you missed it. One, we, we learned that um, you have to have a moment to escape um, from the pain and just have a relationship with God and practicing the presence of God makes those seasons uh, easier to hear his voice um, when, when everything's just falling apart seemingly in our life. And the second thing we looked at is we've got to be honest with those closest to us. Jesus told his disciples, hey, like stay and watch and pray, and, um, but I'm hurting. I'm hurting bad. Like I feel like I'm going to die just emotionally right now, uh, feeling the weight of the world on his shoulders. And, uh, and then the third thing is that we've got to learn to pray hard prayers like Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And so today, like if we looked at the garden last week and, you know, it's traditionally again on Palm Sunday, you'd be looking at that specific text, but we're headed to Easter uh, next week and the resurrection. And so I really kind of wanted to span that whole gap, which is a lot to span, but uh, we're, so we're going to kind of trek in there in just a second. But I've got to be honest with you about something. Um, does everybody get afraid, like when the pastor says, I've got to be honest about something? It's like, what have you been doing the rest of the time? Have you been lying to us? No, I'm, I'm, I hate complaining. I really hate complaining. Um, and I especially hate complaining when, when, um, when I complain. That's the worst. Is like, because I hate it, and then when I do it, I'm like, man, then you end up hating yourself. And no one hates it more when I complain than my wife, because she knows I hate complaining. So then there's this weird thing. So yesterday, of course, like the weekend, I'm going to preach on this. I wake up with this insane crick in my neck. And not really crick, but like intense spasms. Like where I can only look to about right there. And otherwise, I do the robot thing to turn and look, which is hard when you're driving a car to like, hey, how was everybody doing? So um, I woke up with that. So all day yesterday, I was trying not to complain, knowing that this morning, the lead-in for my message was about complaining. And so 
it was, it was hard. And so I, I just kind of kept having these moments of, uh, of just really wanting uh, to complain. But complaining's an interesting thing because I think it's, it's really our way of, of dealing with our pain and our unanswered questions. You know, and we want someone to hear it, and that's the funny thing about complaining. When we, we say it, like, I'm really wanting my wife to do something about it, right? <laughs> like, that's, that's what I'm wanting. Like, oh, my back's hurting. I want you to go get me some medicine. Um, or, you know, I'm really thirsty, which is not, like, hardcore complaining, but I'm really thirsty, you know, still. Um, you know, I'm, like, my wife will say that every once in a while, and I'm like, are you asking me? Like, are you asking me to go get you water? Because I'll go get you water, but I don't know if that's really what you want or if you're just complaining about it. You know, so, but it's one of those things that it's kind of a, a funny, funny relationship, but usually what we're trying to do is just get out our pain and our unanswered questions. And, and I think all of us in the room, like we talked about last week, have some semblance of pain or, or some kind of unanswered questions in our life. And, and, and I was, as I was studying through the scriptures, a lot of places I want to look just about Jesus, um, his journey to being crucified, the arrest and the trials and him being beaten and, and mocked and, and all those things. And, and there was one question that I could not get away from that Jesus makes at the pinnacle of his pain, hanging on the cross, stripped naked, you know, lost all bodily function, scientists tell us, being mocked and spit on, he's, he's being tortured, and then now the people who were waving palm branches, and some of those people are now crucifying him. And Jesus says this statement that I couldn't get away from to teach on today, and it was, why, why God, have you forsaken me? Jesus is on the cross, and I don't know about for you, but I, I like to think I'm, I'm pretty faithful, and, and Stuff like this really digs into me, and I'm like, what are you saying? Jesus thinks he's forsaken on the cross? Like, Jesus, didn't you go to Sunday school? Like, you're going to be resurrected in three days. Like, that's what my, my, <laughs> that's what my brain says. It's like, Jesus, why are you complaining? Like, you know, like, you're going to come out and get to, you know, make breakfast for the disciples. And uh, that just stuck with me, and I'm like, I've got to know why it was Jesus saying, you've forsaken me, when just a second ago he was going through this pain, you know, and he's just been faithful the whole time, and, now it seems like, is he doubting? Is Jesus doubting on the cross? Is that what's happening? So I had to drill down. And what I found, and it was, it was very enlightening for me, is that Jesus wasn't just complaining. He was pointing to another text, a prophetic text about his, his death. And we're going to look at that here in just a second. In, in Jewish culture at those times, there weren't many literate people like all of you guys who can read and, and, and you know, read through the Bible. But really at that time, they would memorize the scriptures, especially good Jews. They'd memorize the scriptures. I've talked about it before. At times, they would have these little boxes that they would tie to their head or tie to their arms known as phylacteries. And however, the, the bigger the box, the more scriptures they had memorized. So it was kind of like showing off. It was like our spiritual pride for the Jews. Um, and so they would have these, so they memorized the scriptures. And so many times when someone would be referring to something, they, wouldn't re- they didn't really have chapter and verse like we do now, but instead they would know them like as the Psalms, which is where this, this, um, this, uh, com- this comes from, where Jesus is referring to. But they would say the first line, and it would unpack an entire package. And so Jesus is not so much complaining as pointing to a text that all good Jews would just unpack. And, and what made it even tougher for me 
is the phrase, it is finished. So we know these are kind of, Jesus says several things on the cross. Two, like the, one of the first ones is, why have you forsaken me? And the last one we know is, it is finished. And Jesus breathed his last. We know this from John 19. So, um, so these kind of, this idea of, why have you forsaken me? And it is finished is really where I want to spend our time today. And so I, I want to go right through and read through an entire psalm. Psalms are written by a lot of different authors. There's a ton of prophecy that happened centuries before Jesus lived that Jesus would fulfill. Scientists and, and theologians working together have tried to um, kind of put together the probabilities of all of um, all these prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus, and, and it's like an astronomical thought that he, in fact, did it. Um, but we, we can have faith because of these, these texts are actually, have been revealed today. Like there are real texts that prophesied that. And these are, are real people who were there and experienced that, that, that wrote uh, these gospels. And so that's where we can have the most confidence in. And so let's go to Psalm chapter 22 and, and read the first line that's going to unpack this whole package of prophecy about Jesus that was written by David centuries before four or five centuries before Jesus would be even born. So Psalm 22 will begin, and it begins, as you expect, with um, Psalm 22, yeah. For the director of music, to the tune of Doe of the Morning. Everybody know Doe of the Morning? So we're going to sing it to Doe of the Morning. You guys ready? I don't know Doe of the Morning. I'm just kidding, kidding with you. Everybody's like, oh gosh, everybody else knows and I don't know it. <laughs> no, I don't know the door of the morning. A Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. I just want you to picture Jesus throughout this as David is writing this centuries before. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. I'm scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl their insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say, let the Lord rescue him. Let him de- deliver him since he delights in him. This is like something that almost quotes of what Jews were saying to Jesus. You know, let Elisha come, or Elijah come rescue him. Let his God come save him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there's no one to help. His disciples deserted him. Many uh, bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. He's using some metaphorical language here, the psalmist says. Roaring lions that tear their prey, open mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. You know that Jesus is, was sweating blood and he was hanging on the cross, of course. My heart has turned to wax. Jesus talks about in the garden about his heart feeling like it's going to explode. And it has melted within me. 
My mouth is dried up like potsherd. They, they gave him some, some wine to drink, some uh, wine vinegar, because of how dry his mouth was. And my tongue sticks to the roof of the mouth, and you lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. He's naked. I mean, do you see the prophecy that's happening, you know, five centuries ahead, people stare and glow over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. It's like every text is something that Jesus fulfilled. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Stay right there. Verse 19. There's a big butt in the middle of all this, and some of us need a big butt in the, in the middle of our lives. Is because there's a lot of complaining going on. But there's always in the Psalms, 70% of them are filled with complaining and lament, 70% of them. But in all those, there's this moment, but you, O oh Lord, you're the lifter of my head, but you will rescue me. There's a but moment where all this is going on, but God, I have faith and trust in you. And we may need to have that in our lives. Let's continue, because this is going to get even more intense. Verse 20. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouths of lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he is, uh, has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Jesus was crying in the garden, and Jesus is going, or the Father is going to rescue him. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly, but those who fear you I will fulfill, before those uh, who fear you I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, uh, and he rules over the nations. Check these last few verses here. All, of, all the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn in the future, he has done it. He has done it, is what they will say after he has done it. And so when Jesus says, it is finished, now that he has done it can begin to happen to the future generations. It's an incredible text. You can look at Isaiah 53 as another powerful one, a prophetic text that just unveils it. You can actually go to Jerusalem and read the Dead Sea Scrolls that has Isaiah 53, and they've carbon dated them to pre-Jesus by multiple centuries. So it, it, these are real texts that happen, and we have the, the, the real people who are there you know, writing the Gospels, who, who saw these things happen, and, and some of the, the Gospel writers begin with this. They're like, we know because we were there. <laughs> you know, they start with this kind of uh, thought process. So uh, as we get into all this, you say, okay, what's, what's all this about, about this prophecy? That's what I really want to spend our time today, is just looking at what's finished. It's incredible, this prophecy, that, that's great. 
But, but what did Jesus finish? When he said, it is finished, what, what's actually finished? And so it's really just going to be a talk on what salvation really is. Because I think if we took a poll in this room and asked, like, what, like, what does salvation look like to you? I think we'd get a lot of different answers. And so, uh, and it's very, it's very um, you know, stressful to kind of think about that as a pastor, to be honest. To think that we've got all these different views of salvation, so it's important that we come to Scripture and get a true definition. Because it's very easy for us to make a gospel of our own. To make a truth of our own, which is very popular. And I could spend hours talking about the isms of our society that we've bought into. We, you know, pluralism and universalism, we've, we've bought into... Um, you know, narcissism, like it just in our culture, individualism, so many things that are counter-scripture. And, and, and so scripture is very counter-cultural in, in the world we live in today, so I think we all know that. But um, I, I think really engaging this idea of salvation and, and setting a base for us on what, what is God really finishing at the cross in Jesus? Because after that, he'll come back and send his disciples out. So Basically, what we're going to talk about is some do a little bit of vocabulary. Does anybody like do like any of those word of the day things? I don't know if those exist anymore. Some of you like vocabulary. Um, I had this friend in Georgia that he used to always try to quiz me on vocabulary, and like, dude, I'm just not into like quizzing on vocabulary. Like at lunch, he's like, "Hey, do you know what this word means?" And I'm like, "I don't care." Um, and so I know, like, as I, I I share a couple of these words that are deeply important to our faith and what it means to be saved. Uh, some of you immediately feel alienated because they're not words you've ever heard before or they sound really outdated or backwoods church or something like that. But I, I want to stress to us the importance of these when it comes to understanding the faith that we hold to. Um, and, and so while, while there'll be those, I'll, I'll try to bridge the gap with just a clear understanding about what these actually mean. And the first one is, is justification. So we're going to use these two cations, not vacation, but justification. And, and it's really a term of, uh, of, like you would see in a court setting, um, where you would walk in and you were guilty and now you're innocent. And, and justification basically means you've been made innocent. It means to declare righteous or innocent. And so that's, that's what Jesus is, is finishing is is our, our, our opportunity, our, our, our way to innocence. Um, and I, I think uh, Ephesians says it great, just about grace and really us understanding his grace. Ephesians passage. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast again because we'll go into some more isms like legalism and, and we'll go into um, you know, uh, moralism of just doing good, and this is the way we can be saved. So again, this text puts it clear about what's happened at the cross. I think we've got a couple other texts, maybe a passage in, in Romans, I believe, um, and Mark as well. Yeah, the, the, that's the one I'm looking for. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in this strange vocabulary word, justification, and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of, uh, of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So talking about what Jesus did, talking about the, the original sin we find in Adam, the first humans, disobeying God. Um, and, and so that's what we see in Romans. And Paul's like talking, and he's teaching through this. And so I think it's really important for us to understand that this is 
This is, uh, this is an end and a beginning all at the same time. Jesus is saying his mission is finished for us, but his mission isn't finished in us. His mission is finished for us, but his mission isn't finished in us. There's a slight differentiation. His work in the earth, you know, in his physical flesh was finished, and he'd come back and be resurrected, and he'd give some um, encouragement, restore Peter, some things like that. But more than anything, this is what's happening at that moment is justification for you and I, is that through confession and repentance that there's a way for us to be saved. And so that's what we find this, to be declared righteous. So again, it's an end, but it's a beginning of a relationship to, to start in, in this journey with Jesus. And so that would really lead us to the, the, really the next vocabulary word, which is sanctification. If you weren't weirded out by justification, sanctification will certainly weird you out and not know what that means. Uh, it's, it's even less talked about. But it means to make holy. And that when he's created us innocent, like we're still like fight. there's a battle going on between flesh and spirit here. Like in this room, in your minds, in your hearts, in your soul, there's a battle going on that we don't see. And that's not something that's like super fun to talk about, but it's real. And we've got to be really aware of it, especially when it comes to the working out of our salvation. There's a text that talks about work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, so if salvation happened at the cross, if it happened through Jesus, happened through us confessing, if it happened through faith, you know, as Romans just said, if it happened through that, then why would we need to work out something with fear and trembling? If, if, if it happened that, what else you got to work out? What's being said there? So there's, there's more to the process. It's not just a moment. It's a process. And so f- for some of us, like, we've used this as, as an excuse to continue sinning, which Paul talked about in, in really straightforward ways, like, don't like use the grace of God and misuse the grace of God to continue in our patterns of sin. And, and so for us, we've got to, to get this idea that, look, I want God to finish the process in me. I want to be made to the fullness of Christ. And, and that's what this process of sanctification means. That If you took the two Greek words put together, it literally means to make holy. To make holy. And holy may just may not understand that as well, but it means to be set apart for a unique purpose. And what God's doing in you isn't to be like, look, he's clean and he's perfect, because look, Christians that are justified and sanctified are not perfect here on this earth, okay? But justification gives us a, you know, it gives us a clean slate. We're declared innocent spiritually. And sanctification is us working those things out. It's, it's the Holy Spirit working those things out of us in a process to be made more like Christ so that others can come to know the saving hope of Jesus. That's basically what's happening. It's a purifying work of being in communion with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And and so we've got a couple of sanctification um, texts that the Scripture talks about this. I'm not making this stuff up. Um, That the Gentiles might become an acceptable offering to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Not one time like, hey, yeah, I got sanctified back in... uh, what was the date you got sanctified? <laughs> like, didn't happen. Through and through and through and through, because the battle doesn't happen once, it happens every day. And for some of us, like we thought like when we like, said yes to Jesus and we, we had put faith in Jesus, we thought that was like the end of the battle. And, and for some of us, that's kind of thrown us off our rocker to find out that it's gotten harder. And that's like, that's scary, you know? That, that's scary, and I try not to tell that to, to people who are just like, wanting to make a commitment to Jesus, but I'm like, hey, like, 
I want to, and I want to be like, hey, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard. Like, things may get harder for you. And like, that's not, that's not the, the good news that I, I really want to share. But, but it's good news, because we find hope in Jesus. And what he's doing is, and so many of us, when we look at words that are maybe outdated like this, or come into a church, and uh, maybe a church that feels outdated, or, you know, feel like they're talking about something outdated, we can kind of get this picture that God is somehow trying to pull us back to some like past version of ourselves of like when we were perfect and things were, no, what God's trying to do is pull us to the the self that he sees. He's He's trying to pull us into the future of ourselves and the perfect redemption of mankind, the things that he fulfilled. He, he's, he's dragging us into how he sees us. But he's dragging willing hearts that will just, that the Holy Spirit will sanctify us through and through, through a process and a relationship. And it's something we've got to submit ourselves to. And just going back to kind of the original complaining thing of forsaking me and seeing these all lived out, what's finished? Well, Salvation is finished, but it's, it's also just the beginning of the, the process of God continually saving us. Because here's what happens if we don't continue the process. We still have destructive patterns, and there's consequences here on this earth for those things. And, and how, can, how can we be redeemed from things that we're, we're, still, we're still in bondage to? And, and this is really about being set free from a, a life that's so focused on the now, you know, just the, um, the daily routine, just seeing life as eternity, as a believer, and just open our eyes to just the spiritual battle that's taking place, and it really opens us up, and he's working it through and through. Make your, may your spirit, your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he'll do it. I love that, because it's like, it's finished, but like, he'll do it, like, it'll continue, like, he's going to do this. And so for some of us, like, we, we've been addicted or we've been locked into certain relationships or, or patterns in our life that we can't break a hold of. And, like, this is, like, what God's wanting to, like, pull us into what I'd call maybe a healthier us, a more whole us. And, and we're, but we're so addicted to whatever it is, our, our, our routine, our, our patterns. And God's wanting to pull us into wholeness and restoration and again, I, I know today you're like, man, this is, like, it's not really sexy to talk about, um, about justification and sanctification. It's not really attractive or, or super engaging to, to, you know, talk about vocabulary words, you know, Palm Sunday. But it, this, this means everything. This is what it is finished is about. It, it is finished, but it's just began. So for some of us that when we said yes or we got baptized and we thought, over, game over, and, and then we're kind of fighting through those things, like, and, and it's hard, and, and we've got to make tough decisions and, and fight through some battles, like, realize this is what the Spirit's doing in you, it, it is, it's, it's a process, where he's, he's you're, you're innocent, like, so don't, like, don't, like, fight the pattern of thinking, like, it's all about works, I've just got to start getting things right, and then God will love me more, no, like, that's not happening here, but we lock into the fact that I'm, I'm trying to attain the things that he's made me in the way he sees me. To my, to my son, I'm, uh, I'm like the biggest champ, and I love that. But I'm not a perfect dad at all. Um, I get frustrated and tired and, and, uh, and yell at him for something he's doing that's maybe just silly. And it's funny, when I see other people do that, I'm like, man, how dare you like, do that? 
And then I look at, at myself um, sometimes and, and I realize, you know, maybe that's me. I was talking to someone this weekend and they, they said they were listening to a message and a great quote came out that said, really, if you're sitting in a service and thinking so-and-so needs to hear this, you have a sense of self-righteousness that really all of us need to hear this because it's through and through and be reminded of this. And so I wanted to take this day to just kind of put us in the same place today at the foot of the cross that every single one of us is, is guilty and need um, the justification that, that the cross brings that Jesus finished for us. But this isn't the end of the journey. It's the beginning of the journey of, of God working in us and saving us from our, our, our depression, saving us from our anxiety, saving us from our addiction. He, he's not finished with us. When he said it's finished, it is finished. And he was pointing them to that text that they will proclaim that he has done it. And, and I, I'm just going to speak this to some of us. Like in six months, like some of the battles you're facing you need to have a moment where you look back and tell people, he's done it. And maybe right here in this room right now, like there's some of us that you're just in that complaining process. Like you feel like God has forsaken you. You feel like people have forsaken you. Um, you're feeling something of what happened in there, whether it's being mocked or things that are coming up from the past. And there's some complaining going on. But it, maybe, maybe it's time to hit verse 19 one more time, but you, O oh God, you will rescue me. But you, O oh God, if you look at some of the other Psalms, you'll lift my head. When, when I'm down on myself, when I'm, I'm struggling, when I'm confused, you, you'll lift my head. And, and some of us may just need a, a, a but moment today. And then maybe today is the day of a new relationship beginning, that your innocence is declared innocent that fast through faith and grace. Grace is free. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. Uh, I was thinking of an example of this is of, you know, having like a neighbor. What if you had a neighbor that gave you um, a free car? Wouldn't that be amazing? Sounds good. Um, and you came over every day and you were just blown away and you felt like there was maybe like conditions, conditions to it. And so you came over and you're like, oh, so I've got to start mowing your yard for free and you're raking your, your, your leaves for free, and this whole time we feel like we're working off a debt like a slave, but um, that, that's, not, that's not really the pattern. It, it, it's more done out of love. That The gift is free. Like, you, you can't, like, pay it off. Like, you can't pay off that. You can't pay off what Jesus did for you. So uh, it, it doesn't say to stop trying. It, it means change your perspective and change your heart and your approach that it's not, okay, I'm not going to work all these things, but I'm going to let him work on me. One of my favorite, favorite texts uh, on the bank income, one of my favorite, not uh, texts, one of my favorite stories that I've heard, I, I'm, I may have shared it here, I don't, I don't know, but um, was a story of a, a family, um, a, a woman and her whole family, her sons and her husband was murdered right in front of Run of uh, in front of them, all of them. I, I've heard multiple scenarios of this, but this specific one happened in the Middle East, and and this woman was in, in a court setting, and this these boys were going to be. There's two boys; they were going to be punished to death, and um, 
and this, this lady, you know, in the middle of court thing, you know, the, the judge says, is there anything else you want to say? And she goes, um, yeah, she said, yeah, I'd just like to ask that their sentence be reduced to just having dinner with me once a month so that I can just show them the love of God that they need to, to hear. And, and this idea that, you know, you're declared innocent, like, in, in God's eyes over the confession of faith and, like, and, and moving to this place that, okay, I can't earn that, I can't pay that back, but I just want you to come be with me because as you're with me, you're going to be changed. We're gonna, you're going to be sanctified through and through, and God's not going to be dragging you back into some old pattern or some, like, he's going to be pulling you to the restored version of yourself, the redeemed version of yourself. He, he, he's not... He's not calling you to leave your personality behind. He, he wants to, to pull you into the true spiritual self. And in and, and some more orthodox traditions, uh, they actually, uh, I know for specifically for men, when you become a believer, they actually change your name to like a biblical name. You look at, there's lots of people in the scripture. We did a whole series on this last year about the name changes. And Saul, who became... Paul was one of those name changes, and, and he's one that God didn't change his name, but he wanted people to start calling him something different. So you've got to know that, that you've been made innocent today, and just get in a relationship with the Father, and, and you're made into something new. Not a, not a worse version of yourself, but a better version of yourself, a restored version, a redeemed version of yourself. So I want to ask you to stand today. And we're going to have a moment to, um, to come to the table here in, in just a second. But for just a few moments, as they lead us in the, uh, a verse and a chorus here, I'd like to just, for us to just think about where we're at today. Just have a moment of reflection of saying, have I been in that complaining place? Do I need to have a, a verse 19 moment today? Or we just say, but God, you... You're the lifter of my head. You're the one that can deliver me from this. And we just need to, to really confess today that we need a new start. I don't know where you're at today, but just take a few moments to reflect and know that God's not just finish, or finishing something. He's beginning something in us. Let's worship.